0: Today, our queen will have us traveling to the deep south in the 1800s. Her story stays true to the good, the bad, and the ugly, but also the glamour, the power, and freedom. We will feel bad for her at times, and then feel angry with her. That is what you get when you have a queen that has pretty much lived her entire life in the south, being raised by the men of the south where it was acceptable to trade in sex, vice, and people. Hello, my name is Summer, and this is Paying For It. I got some to my leg, gonna make a dead man come on. I got something between my legs, gonna make a dead man come all I'm gonna turn back my mattress and let you all my Thank you for being here for episode 34. I am excited to be here today. I feel like we are talking about our first maybe villain on paying for it. Her story is not quite like those who we have spoke on in the past, as her story will probably make you hate her more ways than one. She's a woman who lived through the Civil War in the deep, deep South, So you know her story is going to take us on a journey, one that has me questioning, is she a queen or is she a villain? We will be finding that out and more on today's episode. But before we do that, hello, how the heck are you? I hope you've been doing really well living life and getting into the vibes of December. I am a season girly and I love a season. So I've definitely got a slow start to December, but we are getting there. We have got our Trism- christmas tree <laughs> our christmas tree out and we have gotten it fluffed and tonight we'll be putting the lights on it and everything and fully decorating this house so that we'll be in the festive season okay stories will be coming on our new goblin and how he does with this tree Already he's tried to climb in it a few times and this is his first Christmas as far as we are aware of. So (laughs) it's going to be fascinating to see how he is throughout the time um, with him and all the like decorations because like I said we have it up and he's already tried to climb into it and up it all my other cats have always been pretty good like dreamy she's such a sweetheart and a christmas cat she loves to lay under the trees under the tree with the lights on her and she just like looks up and she really enjoys it nightmare he also really enjoys it so we'll see we'll see how the travis does the goblin Here in Texas, the weather is so wild. I feel like that's my intro almost every day. We talk about how wild the weather is. But yeah, December can be so weird. It's very cold and rainy and gloomy one day and then the next it's 70 and sunny and beautiful. So my body this time of year just goes into shock, I think. It just doesn't know what to do with itself. And yeah, I'm struggling with a interesting sinus infection and I feel okay, but I do feel not okay. So, you know, great. Love that for me. Love it. Love it. I'm already kind of like a, <laughs> a snotty person. So, it doesn't help when you... It's the first Wednesday of the month. I just realized that. So, the um, tornado sirens are going off. They... <laughs> They like do a practice every first Sun, first Wednesday of the month. So, oops, forgot about that. Yesterday, when we were pulling out all the um, Christmas decorations and stuff, we watched Spirited on Apple TV, which has Will Farrow and Ryan Reynolds in it, and. Let me just say, it was a musical, so not always my jam, but still very silly, very funny, great for the holiday season, and I enjoyed. I didn't. I don't know why I just said musicals weren't my jam, because they totally are. This one, just the music that was in it wasn't my jam, is what I should say. But it was still very good. I mean, how could it not be with those two? Like, they're amazing, so it was a good one and heartwarming and yeah we enjoyed um this is also pretty silly but so true to who i am as a person because i'm looking forward to a quite a few couple of christmas horrors that are going to be released this month as well i think one has to do with a gnome and i think it comes out on shutter so i'll definitely be watching that one like i I'm quite obsessed with gnomes in general, especially a season gnome. But like anything spooky and cute, I'm here for. So I'm excited. I'll let you know about it when I watch it. I also just started a book called A Certain Type of Hunger by Chelsea A Summers, and honestly, I'm only a f- well now a few chapters in, but already I'm like intrigued. I like the writing. Um, I, yeah, the way I read is different because the first couple of chapters, I'm like reading it, but it's also just, you know, you know how a story is like, it's just the buildup to what is actually going to get you going. So that's where we are right now in this book. And, um, but I can already tell I'm interested. We know, we know the premise because i've read the summary and it's basically about a uh, like a woman who was a food critic and one day or maybe not one day maybe she's been doing this for a while we'll find out but one day she just up and kills her lover And I think it's because she eats him, but I'm not sure. I'm confused on where this is going to go. But if it gets there, I mean, like the title is A Certain Hunger. So I'm like, "Mm, maybe. So we'll see. (laughs) Before we get into today's villainous queen, please consider liking, subscribing. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening, please follow and like it helps out a lot here on paying for it. Also, if you haven't already and you are enjoying my my spicy tellings of history through the eyes of a public woman, consider checking out the video versions on YouTube. And if that is something you think if that is something you think you'll be into, at least. Alright, with that being said, let's get into it. Today we will be traveling to the deep south and we will get into we will get a quick glimpse at what it may have looked like for a queen who was practically born and raised within the south in the 1800s. We will see that even though she has queen qualities, she also had qualities that we definitely are going to judge her for. For most likely which makes her most likely a villain of history. We have a very unique story as well because today's queen stays true to her birth name and becomes a very wealthy madam in the town she grew up, never actually leaving home. Choosing not to have shame or be looked down upon when it comes to her chosen profession. It also could show what it looked like for public women in certain cities and what the townspeople felt versus what the public was saying, if that makes sense. So with that, you know what time it is. Grab yourself a cocktail, a mocktail, a coffee, whatever you fancy. Today, I have a coffee. Yeah, like I said, I'm not feeling very well. (laughs) In fact, I I just started antibiotics today, so um, I don't even think I'm supposed to be drinking this coffee, but we're here, and I'm drinking it, okay? I'm tired, girl. I got to go work earlier, so meh, I'm going to have my coffee. <laughs> okay, but yeah, I just got my, my re-up on my Nespresso pods. Um, so this one is a, I don't know how to say it, but it's a double espresso made from milk, because you're a milky girl, and I just have some white chocolate and cookie butter syrup fluffed up in some milk, and yeah, so, you know, whatever you have, I hope you're kicking back, I hope you're relaxing, and I hope you're ready to enjoy the story I have for you today, and cheers, 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 and let me introduce you to Gabby Payakstad okay god damn it i've been trying to practice her name her last name i don't know Payaxoto, Pez- Payaxoto, piexato okay was saying it fully wrong Peixoto. um okay so <laughs> let me introduce you to grace Peixoto. Born Grace Peshelto on October 30th, 1817, in St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. She was the daughter of the Reverend Solomon Cajon Peshelto and Rachel Cazars. Wow, these made- names. At a very young age, Grace and her family moves to South Carolina in 1818. So she was the fifth born out of what was eventually going to be nine children. And God damn, every time I hear a story about, the, like, the amount of children people had back then, it blows my mind. I get it in a certain extent, but I also do not get it in another extent. But I do understand, like contraception was not a thing so it was kind of like what do you do you know her father he officiated as the hazan in saint thomas when they were still in the virgin islands so when moving to charleston south carolina he will quickly jump into doing the same with the hazan in his new community so this was a jewish family in south carolina And I'm probably saying Hazan wrong. And if I am, I am truly sorry. Grace's childhood is a bit of a mystery to history, although it seems that it is what was a good one. Like she was raised by what we assume was a loving family because she didn't run away. She didn't uh, jump ship real quick or like, you know, leave. Um, when her family was still there or anything like that so and as we will see through her story she stays here the entire time though by the time she was 20 years old her parents are going to be both dead what happens probably just it's the 1800s so (laughs) survival rates weren't that easy okay but, yeah, the cause of their death has been faded to history. Um, our history makers weren't very good at keeping the books, I would say. <laughs> so now Grace finds herself basically on her own. She does have siblings, but by that point, it's a doggy dog world out there. So it's not like her siblings are going to help that much, you know? She, though clearly was never really worried because it seemed that Grace had great plans for herself and had ideas on what she was going to do. Now we're going to lose Grace's life trail for a bit for her younger years. And that's kind of a bummer because that is the grind, the hustle she went through to elevate her life as what we know it of today, you know? So that grind, that hustle, that, that gritty work that she had to do is unknown. Though it is not my place to speculate on what those early years looked like, but I'm assuming that Grace entered into the world of selling sex at around the same time she found herself without her parents. Whatever she did for her hustle, however, it mainly kept her in Charleston, I don't think she ever even left. Like there's no like we do lose her for like 10 years from her 20s to about her 30s. So maybe she traveled, but it's not looking like it, you know, because that would be maybe a little bit more of a record had she traveled. She didn't. Um, By 1852, Grace is around 35 years old and she finds herself in a place to become a business owner, so she has done something because she finds herself with enough cash to go stake her claim. She takes $2,000, which was a lot of money back then, okay, and purchases a lot on Bersterford, (laughs) gosh, Um, Bersterford Street. It's a three-story brick structure, the perfect building for her soon-to-be brothel, and her house, her home, really, that will remain her home for the remaining time of her life. Quickly, Grace will get to work on turning the three-story house into the perfect, elegant whorehouse. Soon, the big brick brothel would be open for business, and it's quite the success. Of course, it was going to be because Grace couldn't have gotten to this point in her life if she wasn't at least a little bit hardworking and driven. Now, the big brick, which I don't know if I mentioned, the big brick is what her brothel is nicknamed throughout its uh history (laughs) um so now the big break is going to become very extremely popular in town grace being the hometown madam already has a network in her city so she's on top she is not starting from the bottom for like people who travel like a lot of the women we learn from in the history they will do their gritty hustle in a different city and then take their money and come into a new city so they're still like starting from a different type of bottom because you're still having to network you're still having to find this the the flow of the city and stuff but grace all of her hustling and stuff was there so She is not needing to start from the bottom. She's ready and she, you know, she already kind of knows what's up. She knows her city. She's on top of it and she knows how to capture the vibe of her time. So she knows what she's doing. Entering into her three-story tall Borodello, you step into her double parlor. It was in the parlor that Grace and her girls could entertain and make money. In the parlors, there are men, well, there are men for the night at least, could partake in some brandy, cigars, maybe a gambling session, is that what it's called? But most importantly, be in the company of beautiful women. The parlor room for any brothel was when the woman went to work. Grace was the host of the party. She had a tough job of keeping the men happy and continuously spending their money, you know? (laughs) The girls, on the other hand, had to socialize, work their magic, and get the client to land with them and not their competition. Even though these girls lived with each other, they were working against each other too. So, you know, you had the parlor room was where you went to work. Upstairs though, I mean yeah, you put in work there too, but it was a little bit different if I can say. Grace and the Big Brick became extremely, extremely popular within uh, South Carolina, and she becomes even more wealthy. She is a very wealthy woman, okay? She is making that money, honey. By 1860s, Grace was able to construct two adjacent um, additional buildings to the Big Brick. The first was a two-story house, and the second, another three-story building. It's a little unclear what she used these houses for. Um, I'm assuming just more room to work and flow in. Most of her houses had a parlor room that her clients could partake. Like I said, in brandy, cigars, and beautiful women. So, most of her houses had the parlor room, and that was, you know, where the clients could hang out and chill. But I'm not sure if maybe she took a house to herself or what exactly how this, the three were structured. Um, But yeah, she had three houses that all had parlor rooms that all were functioning as, as brothels. It was upstairs in the private rooms where the fun was to be had. For this area and time, it was a little uncommon for brothels to have private rooms for the girls. So this really sets Grace above her competition when it comes to what she's doing. And the men, of course, are going to really enjoy having their fun in private. I never even thought about that, but how weird it would be for the men to be like in a room together doing their thing, you know, even for the girls. One. Yeah, I never really thought about that and how weird and awkward it would have been for that to go down all in one room together. I don't know. Maybe they spaced it out. Whatever. I don't know. But probably not, to be honest. Um, Now, let's not forget that this was Charleston, South Carolina in the mid-late 1800s. The South baby. So Grace wasn't all just a badass queen. But we don't shy away from the bad because this is history and if we don't talk about it, we don't learn from it and we forget about it and then we repeat our mistakes. So here it is. With Grace with Grace being a wealthy white woman, despite her wealth coming from an immoral profession, she would still be able to gain a certain kind of status within Charleston, especially with the influence and powerful men within the city. So she makes friends in high places. The powerful men most likely really liked Grace because like them, she had very similar thoughts and feelings on the current political climate going on through the South. Now, this is like a few years before the Civil War, so Grace makes a lot of friends with powerful men within her city, and Charleston is a port city, so it's a very politically driven city, and... A lot of people are participating in some things that aren't great, and Grace is going to be one of them. We know this because Grace's name will start to appear on the 1850s slave schedule. Side note, what the fuck? History is so sick sometimes. Like, my gosh, I had never heard of such a thing like this before. Like, I... (laughs) not something i should laugh about because it's so very weird and serious but also i just did not think that that would be a thing and then you learn about it and you're like what anyways yeah her name is going to appear on the schedule that ran and existed for about two years and this was part of the census really it basically tracked how many slaves were owned by people within the communities. So, like, the census tracks how many people live in your house and neighborhood and stuff. And then this was a way for them to, like, not consider, God forbid, they consider people people. No, this was a way to not consider them people, but be able to keep track of them, which, ugh, the thought of that is just, I can't. I don't even know. Like, there's no words I can say, like, as a fucking white woman. Like, living in 2023, that makes that, like, it's just not my place to talk on, I guess. So, in 1850, it will list that Grace Pachelto, I almost forgot how to say it again, owns six slaves, ages ranging from 2 to 40 all of them being female but one four-year-old boy. In the 1860s, the slave schedule will be released again and this one will show that Grace now owns seven slaves, this time all female between the ages of 6 and 45. Meaning that throughout the 10 years, it was evident she practiced in trading and selling literal humans. I cannot get over that. And yeah, I know it's like the 1800s, but what the fuck? Like, (laughs) what? (laughs) Now, if that isn't just sick, it gets worse. Damn it, Grace. For this time period and this area in the Deep South, it wasn't uncommon for brothel owners to sell this sex service using only their slaves so yeah as I dug into Grace's story that part of history I almost didn't do this (laughs) I was like um what but like I said we don't shy away from the good the bad the ugly because everyone story has a little bit of good bad and ugly, some are worse than others because we can't have a world apparently without villains and yeah, it was really disturbing to learn that that was something that definitely probably happened and yeah, so the thought of that was really, really disturbing to me and also really hard for me to like wrap my head around the fact that it actually happened and it it's really just awful to me. What's really hard, though, is the fact that Grace also was a madam who traded in sex slaves. Clearly, I mean we we can't put that on her per se, but um, I know, girl, this is this is the time I need a little cat love for sure um, because it's a little unclear that like. She for sure did it. Now, it's a little unclear if Grace was a madam who traded in sex slaves. It's a little unclear because history is like that, but... Honestly, the facts kind of point out that maybe she was for sure, 100% probably doing this. So why would I say that? It's because we know from the census, um, quote unquote, freaking slave schedule, um, that she only had female slaves in a wide range of ages, which mind you, gives you a whole new element of like horrific to think about the age difference, the, the youngness of some of the girls that she had. Um, it's, yeah, it's not good. It's pretty likely with her political beliefs, uh, aligning with those men of the South that this is something she in fact definitely participated and did, which is, yeah, villain ass behavior like this is this is not queen behavior. This is villainism. This is not good. Grace, what was you doing? I don't know. I don't know. And one can only hope that maybe there's more to the story, but doubtful because you were willing to buy and trade humans for what reason? Ugh. It's so icky. Yeah, so icky to me. Um, I dropped my phone. Quote, she used the money that she earned in sex trade to engage in the socially acceptable but no more moral slave trade. This is a sad reality of this time in history is that this was socially acceptable and very common among wealthy white men and the few lucky white women who found themselves with money. Sometime in 1853, F.C. Adams will go on and write a book. I'm going to butcher this book's title. It's called The Manual Pereira uh, or The Sovereign Rule of South Carolina. His focus of the book was mainly an abomination text. Uh, however, he would also reserve part of his book to touch on prostitution. So basically, he wrote this book to say, hey, South Carolina, Carolina, you're fucking up, you're being icky people, and we need to fix that. But he had very harsh criticism on the woman who participated in the sex trade. He would mainly focus his rage on Grace Peixoteau, because she was the most madam of madams in Charleston. She was the top she was the queen of the city adam believed that prostitution was glaring evidence of the demoralization of social life within charleston but of course when speaking on the quote-unquote evil natures of selling and buying sex adam will fully point the finger at the woman who sold sex of course Ignoring the glaring fact that these women would not be as successful as they so clearly were if someone wasn't paying for it, and who was that someone the men of course, however, Adam would not once point the finger at those men on on why socially Charleston was failing because it could never be their faults. The men couldn't help themselves, and he would even say that the the good men of the city only tolerated it, but never participated in it. Even though Adam was someone who seemed to really have an issue with women who were able to seize a part of the market that was so clearly sought after, it will be Grace who will get the last laugh when it comes to Adam. Now, at a certain point, Grace, she will ask the city to pave the area in front of her house. She states that it was dedicated to the citizens of Charleston. What does that mean? Honestly, I have no idea, but it's probably because a lot of her citizens were coming through complaining about not having to pay road. Adam will fight this hard on getting that like stopped. He does not want her to be able to pave her road. He his feeling on it was that she was she who participated in the vile acts of selling sex should not get any help or advancements to her business. Though his words will fall on deaf ears because Grace, at around Grace at this point, holds enough respect from the powerful men of the town to get the approval for the road but also will get their aid in getting the road finished so like this guy adam he goes to the powerful tolerant men of south carolina and it's like dude don't let this biatch do that like she doesn't deserve it and they're like "Mm -hmm, sure sure okay we'll consider what you're saying and then on the low low they're going to her house nightly and they're like we got you girl we got you so they definitely make it happen for her grace though also had her challenges even though she was wealthy she was still a woman in the 1800s running an illegal business so she would still face raids fines just the bs of overall sexism although i guess i can't feel too bad for her because she was white wealthy woman had slaves So, you know, yikes. Anyways, she wasn't immune to the times. She did face courts ever so often due to her brothel, and she would absolutely hate and reject the word and term disorderly. Disorderly houses was a very common term for a brothel back then. Disorderly houses was a very common term for a brothel back then. She felt it for what it was. Rude. She may be powerful, but she wasn't able to take down the judgy. She may be powerful, but she wasn't able to take the judginess out of society. Anyways, Grace hated it, saying, I know that you policemen have to make your money on the side and that we have to pay you for protection. And that's all right. I know that you have to. Ha- I know that you have a raid every once in a while and fine us, and that's all right. But there's one thing I object to. I object to you writing the charge against me for maintaining a disorderly house. I want to have you know that I have the most quiet, respectable, ladylike whores south of Mason. Dixon line. So, you know, she really did not like that term and she would often state it. And also, I think in that statement was pretty clear and funny that she called out the policemen for their, quote unquote, protection. She also had to deal with the rowdy and ruthless men that came through. This was the 1800s, baby. So the men went unchecked. A few times, Grace found trouble at her doorstep because just like We have monsters in this world today. There are monsters of our past. History's monsters could often get away with a lot more than they can today. Not all all of it was directed at Grace herself, but some of it at the girls who worked within her house. Speaking of her girls, it's also important to note that sometimes the girls would bring trouble to her door On purpose, probably not. Kind of hard to tell. However, history hints to us that most girls did not do it on purpose. This also, side note, gives me faith that Grace wasn't just using her... sex slaves to sell and make money. She was also hiring women who worked within her house. So not that it makes it any better, but at least she wasn't those other people who only used uh, people that they bought on this uh, like slave schedule or whatever. Market Ew, gross can't often those rowdy and ruthless men could at times be violent. Some could just be shitty though. Like at one point when the Charleston Daily would report on two women who got arrested in the big brick for allegedly stealing a man's wallet and watch. I think they like it was reported they stole like $500 from him. But history loses track of what actually happened to those women. Um, however, they actually... However, had they actually been convicted of stealing, it would have been reported on in the same paper that originally covered the story. So it seems more likely that the men actually just accused the girls of false claims, which we've seen throughout the history of our stories that we've covered in the past, trying to get them in trouble and or punishing them for something we'll never really know. I mean, honestly, it's not a story we have not heard before, not a story we haven't heard today. But what really important about that article in the Charleston Daily and several articles around this time period in Charleston Daily was that it showed how the citizens really felt about the public women and the girls who worked within the red light district of Charleston. Um, because and that's not to say that some in town had strong emotions regarding it. However, the majority seems like this was just a part of life. You see in the article because you see this in the article because the article doesn't immediately claim guilt just because of their profession, which was a very common thing to happen in other places. This was very big for this time, as it was often that no matter what the facts of the story are, they will still choose to take the man's side of the story even more if the other party was a woman, especially a woman of color or a woman of color or a woman who worked within this business. So it's pretty telling that the article read not even really announcing that they were uh women of the nights because they just basically read two women were arrested at the big brick if you knew the town you knew what that was for allegedly stealing a watch in five hundred dollars but that's it and most articles had it been a different place a different time would have said something like two fallen women are found guilty of stealing five hundred dollars and you know, like they're gonna make it way worse than it actually is. So most likely, these women were probably let go. And if they didn't get their job back at the big brick, there was plenty of places for them to go afterwards, because it's not good to have women in your house who are stealing. So it could get you definitely fired from your job. But we don't know exactly what happened. And we, we do know that clearly, they were never actually charged with this crime maybe they were charged but it looks like they never were found guilty of this crime now if you were forgetting that we were in the 1800s don't worry i'm bringing you right back because on april 12th 1861 the confederate force of south carolina opened fired a fort some <laughs> which will be the commencement battle of the start of the civil war a battle that Grace could hear the shellings being fired at her home at eleven Barsaford Street. So yeah, this girl lives in the motherfucking south. Okay. <laughs> Most likely it was there she sat celebrating, drinking champagne maybe, and making a toast among the influential influential men who made this battle happen. One of those men may have included Wade Hampton III. He may not have been there, to be honest. He could have been in that battle, which is also more likely. Whatever the case, though, they were to be friends. Charleston will prove to be a key city in the war due to it being a port city. Charleston and the Confederacy will come out the loser of this war, to the shock of many, including Grace. So they did not expect the outcome, but good that they got the outcome that they got. Although this will not stop the men of the South trying their hardest to win the power back at all cost. Now, Wade Hampton, who if you are interested in the men who play key roles in history, he might be someone you want to look up. He's important to our story because after his war days, he will go for governor. Wade will choose to use the big brick brothel for his headquarters and meeting place, which shows that Grace really did have her hands in politics. The relationship between Grace and Wade is definitely a mystery to history. How he ended up there Why he chose the big brick, what was that whole vibe? But most likely, the reason he chose the big brick was because they were friends at the very minimum, friends, you know, and he could trust that Grace had his interest and she could keep secrets, and that is very important for the political party. But Grace, she didn't shy away from the idea of having politics in her parlor. A lot of people don't like to mix business with pleasure, but she was like, come on in, baby. Even if the relationship between Grace and Raid was strictly business, it was a great move for Grace, of course. Bringing the big wigs to her bordello, you know, so they could talk politics, strat- stratize stratatize, stratatize, <laughs> drink, smoke, and have a quick afternoon delight, as they felt. Wade will go on to win and serve as South Carolina's governor for two terms, meaning Grace probably had it very easy during that time. Now, Grace was known to, for the longest time, even after her death, to have never gotten married. Although, new evidence did surface recently that showed Grace had actually gotten married on her deathbed. See, at the age of 62, Grace is going to have a stroke. The medical field definitely wasn't anywhere close to what it is today. In the 1800s, so, you know, Something she was not really overcoming. However, it's said that on her deathbed, Grace will marry Captain James Standish on April, uh, sometime in April 1880s. Who was Captain Jacob Standish? Myers Sr.? (laughs) Where did he come from? Were they lovers, friends, what? Hmm? That remains a mystery to history. Grace will pass, though, on May 1st, 1880. Whether they were lovers or not, Jacob will make sure that Grace is buried properly. He will take care of her. Grace will be buried the day after her death on May 2nd in Mongolia Cemetery in a plot that was purchased by her husband. Her will will go to Jacob as her executor of state. Jacob clearly understood the assignment because as the new owner of the big brick, he will continue to rent it out to only those who would continue to run it as the only way Grace would approve of, and that was as a brothel. He would continue Grace's legacy and make sure it's ran as a brothel Way into the mid-20th century, when it was closed by the city of Charleston, this will come at the urging of, you know, the U.S. Navy during the push for anti-vice. Now, the city's people agreed with the decision. Not that the city's people agreed with the decision at all. Raven McDavid wrote, One of the laminated institutions of Charleston is the Big Brick, number 11, Burseford Street, so-called because it was made up of large blocks of stone, of cement. The Big Brick until 1942 when the Navy, with the usual military gross disregard for local traditions, shut it down, was supposed to be the oldest whorehouse in the continuous operation in the Western Hemisphere. It had a very select clientele, and it used to pride itself on the dignity and propriety of its young ladies. So that just shows that those in town definitely did not want to see it closed down. They considered it part of their history and part of their culture. That, my friends, was the story of the good, the bad, the ugly, but also the glamour, the freedom, and the power of grace the woman who wasn't afraid or ashamed over the job and kept her name grace was a woman who had her hands in politics she's okay with the world's injust, even the ones against herself and she felt that she was just the way she felt that that was just the way the world worked Grace was a Southern woman, practically born and raised, so even though today her political views were alarming, to say the least, that was all she ever knew. She still was a queen of history, even even if she laid on the wrong side of history. Villains have to have queens as well. She was still able to do... She was still able to not... She was still able to do something many could not during this time if one was not a white man. She was able to own land on top of that, gain the respect and adoration of the men within power within her town. That was not easy. Surviving and thriving in a world that looked far bleaker, darker, and nastier than it does today. Getting into Grace's story, I didn't realize that her story was going to make me feel so icky for wanting to tell her story. (laughs) I do feel that she was on the wrong side of history, though I couldn't tell you exactly what happened to those quote-unquote owned people and if for sure she participated in sex slavery the cards though definitely seemed stacked against her so I feel okay with judging her on that which brings me to understand that yeah I think in fact we had our first villainist villainist queen story here and paying for it if you feel differently let me know it's just odd that how life is so different, but so similar when looking back on history. Today, we have people who believe so strongly in things that they don't or can't see are the wrong side of history. They are a part that they are being a part of making. They are effectively their villain. This is their effectively villain origin story, but they cannot see it. And today's story was Grace's villain story, and she could not see it. But we see it today. At least I hope we do. I don't condone her actions when it comes to the fact that she legitimately traded and sold humans. And she was very pro-confederate. Wow, I can't say that. But her story nonetheless should be told and spoken for the history of it, the learning of it, but also the simple fact that she was a woman of considerable power, respect and wealth of her time when that was nearly impossible. And with that, that's all I have for you today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, a great week, and if you haven't already and you are vibing with me and my spicy takes on history, I highly suggest you like, subscribe if you're listening, Follow, like, leave a review, whatever. (laughs) And if you haven't checked out the video versions, you should jump over to YouTube and check them out. They come out a few days after the audio versions. Let me know how you feel about Grace. I would love to know because honestly, as I started to learn about her, I struggled on how to feel about her. Yeah. So, yeah, I would love to know y'all's opinions. But with that, I will see you next time. Goodbye. I got something between my legs. I'll make a dead man come off. Damn. I got something between my legs. I'll make a dead man come off. My magic, lifting all my dreams.